most important thing I do with the Psalms these days is invite them to grieve and to notice loss. There's a lot of the church that just doesn't know how to do that. And the Psalms can be a witness to that. The world isn't so great all the time. In fact, it's a faithful thing to complain. It's a faithful thing to raise our voices and stomp our feet and shake our fists at the sky if we want to. Anger, outrage, pain that belong in our spiritual life. I think the Psalms do that so well. Welcome to Created Creative. I'm Dawn and Ruth is traveling. She is in Belize with her business. As you know, her business is Consecrate. It's a monthly subscription box for female ministers. But she has all of these things that happen around it. And one of those is this trip out of the box to Belize. So she is in with 22 female faith leaders from across denominations, and I am here doing this intro, but you will hear her during the interview. I'm actually traveling later this week, too. I'm going to an event that we mentioned last week, actually, the extravaganza. It is primarily Lutheran leaders of children, youth, and family ministry. I have been involved in planning the extravaganza in the past. And this year, I had nothing to do with it, but I love the theme they picked, which is dream. And it, of course, makes me think about Martin Luther King Jr., I have a dream just because today is Martin Luther King Day, and I have no idea if they're actually drawing a connection between the Martin Luther King Jr. dream speech and their theme of dream. But as a life coach, I am living in the world of people's dreams all the time. And I don't mean dreams like live in the dream, that sort of unlived life. Maybe I could have, you know, been in the Olympics or... Maybe I could have been a movie star, but in that holy imagination way of dreaming. And here's what's so compelling to me about that I have a dream speech from Martin Luther King Jr. He is so clear. He paints such a clear picture. We all can see that picture. We know what his dream is. And we can get on board with his dream because it is such a clear picture. And the people I coach Often what I'm doing is helping them paint a clearer picture. Like either they've started towards something and then they never stopped and filled in the details. Like suddenly something turned into a business, but they don't have the infrastructure behind it or they don't know how to market it. Or they have this vague notion they want to change jobs or change calls, but they haven't thought through the steps of how do we make that happen. Or they know they want to connect more with the people around them and have deeper, more meaningful relationships. But what do you actually do to make that happen? That is what I'm doing all the time as a coach. And that is actually what I am promoting at the extravaganza. I have a six-month e-course where people go through a process where we are honoring dreams. We create very small groups, like five people. And as we get to know ourselves and each other, we speak the dream into a small trusted group. That's one of the first steps. Speaking it and having people hold it for you makes it more real and gives you that confidence to go out and dip your toe and do something real in the world because we don't just talk about it. We figure out little things to do in your real world that help you learn more or actually move toward the dream. So many of us think we have to see all the steps before we start, but it's impossible. We need feedback from the world around us. We need the Holy Spirit to speak through the people around us, which requires taking a few steps toward the dream. So that's what we do. It's called discern by doing. 
And over the course of six months, we are making a plan to either implement the dream or learn about what our options are if it's more of a vague notion. And then having this group to come back and reflect with that is always going to be a cheerleader that is going to get to know you so well that their suggestions really are helpful. If that happens to resonate with you, please do go to discernbydoing.com and take a look. And there is a little place to set up a 25-minute meeting with me. And we can figure out whether this is a good match for you. Most of the people are all pretty much connected to progressive denominations, either fully in ministry or ministry adjacent, meaning maybe they're in another actual career, but they would consider that career somewhat of a calling. But other than that, lots of people are welcome. A wide variety of people have taken this over the last six or seven years, however long I've been doing it. So discernbydoing.com, let me know. And if not, just stay here with us because we've still got a conversation coming where you actually get to hear both Ruth and I and our guest, Richard, who actually, in some people's eyes, was living the dream. He was traveling around as a musician for years and connecting with different communities. He finally did land in one community where he can go deep with a group of people, also go deep on the Psalms. It is fascinating the way in which he thinks about how are the Psalms speaking to our current situations? What does his community need? What do we all need? from these ancient psalms now in our daily lives. I'll let him explain for himself. Oh, I can't forget to tell you that his internet connection was not great. So it's a little harder to listen to than some of the other recordings we've had, but still worth it. Like it's really good stuff. And it actually toward the end, he gets cut off entirely. So I'll pop back in at the end and let you know what you missed. But here we go. Here is Richard and here is Ruth joining me that conversation. I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you so much for the invitation. <laughs> Love your podcast. You're doing great with it. I've known you a long time. We go back to Youth Encounter days. And of course, Don was also part of Youth Encounter. Have you and I, Don, ran into each other in person before? Maybe as we talk, we're we going to find out. Mr. Team or Twin Cities or Minnesota. I feel like your paths would have crossed at some point. You seem familiar. Yeah. Anyway, I'm glad that we're all in the same room. I was just thrilled that you could give us some of your time. I tend to be a listener. I tend to listen first. I told my family, oh, I think I'm part of the content here, so I should probably talk more than I'm used to. It's so great. <laughs> a lot of our guests, they were ministers first, and then they do kind of art and other creative things on the side. But you've always struck me more as this creative person first. And then you also are a minister as well, but you make so many things. And so I would like you to start by just asking you to share a little bit about yourself and what you do. Sure. I'd be happy to. I live in Strawberry Point, Iowa, population of thousand. I live here with my wife, my son. We have two dogs. I'm sort of pining for a cat. I'm sort of a cat person, but we haven't had a cat in several years. My wife is not a cat person. So we're negotiating. Uh, let's see. I am an INFJ. I think I'm an Enneagram 4. Love it. Thank you about these. The right yeah. place. We embrace that. Let's see. Here's a list of things that I enjoy. I like autumn. I like purple. <laughs> My favorite meal is cheeseburger, french fries, strawberry malt. I'm a simple, very simple palate. Yeah. Beatles. I love the Beatles. Wonderful. And by the way, I'm also an Enneagram 4 and an INFJ. So I knew that I liked you. I'm not surprised. <laughs> so you've been a songwriter forever. 
and I know you do many other things in addition to that, but the songwriting, when would you say you wrote your first song? I'm probably in college, Luther College, Decorah, Iowa. So <laughs> like mid eighties, I suppose. And let's see, I think I started just writing little songs, like prayer songs. This was during my fundamentalist phase. So there's a lot of prayer songs. <laughs> there are a lot of uh, songs for camp because I discovered working at a Bible camp in those days when the decree went out. Um, <laughs> I wrote the bitter love song sketches, I think. I knew how to play guitar. So I was just doing, you know, things mostly for myself in those days. Before I understood there may be a different realm of songwriting that would be coming up for me later. And these days, you still do a lot of songwriting? And yeah. Uh, yeah, tell us about your creative pursuits these days. It's a lot around music, and it's a lot around functional songs for congregations. Um, it was 2002-ish, I think. I was in seminary at the Twin Cities, doing my master's in theology and the arts. It sort of began to dawn on me that songwriting was one thing if it's expressing myself, but the magic I was interested in was what can you do with a song as a community? What happens to a community when you have something to sing together, even if it's a cappella, if it's super simple, or if it's an arrangement and there's harmonies. And that's what I've been chasing. That's been the biggest part of my art, if you will, I think, since then. So you're writing songs to build community. It really is. I see it as sort of function. Sometimes it's proclamation also. I work with the Psalms a lot. So sometimes it's inviting mm -hmm. community to proclaim. And sometimes it's just the magic of performance art. We're doing this right now. Anything could happen with live music. The organ could be unplugged. A squirrel could jump out. I don't know. But mm -hmm. there's something about the art of being in the moment on Sunday morning or whenever we are. And you realize we're doing this and it's simple vibration and physics. How can that change my mood? How can music connect me to these people around me? And to my sense of God, the sense of the holy, it's I sputter when I get to about this point because I don't know how it works. So are you full-time on staff at your church? I'm 30 hours a week, and I love it. What's your title? My title, I'm laughing because you could help me with this. My title right now is Cantor. Oh. Which seems like a negative oh. sort of word when you think about it in English. But there's, you know, sometimes it's the song leader in a wider view. It's the leader of, of the assembly. Mm -hmm. I feel like a song later, though, is using published music and just showing up and singing. You're doing way more. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, Don, it feels like the kind of song leading is about the magic I mentioned before. What is this community doing with their voices and their spirits and their bodies right now? So that's also it's spiritual formation. It's what are we singing for ourselves? What are we singing to each other that matters to us today? What are we singing in witness for the rest of the world that is in pain? or that is celebrating. So I think you're right. There is more to it than just kind of leading the songs. My congregation, a few years ago during COVID, we used a lot of your psalm videos that you created, and we loved that. I mean, that was a regular part of when we worshiped online. Were you creating even more videos during that time, or had you already created a lot of that before COVID came along? I had been doing those kind of once in a while, and I had a Patreon where people could subscribe to get a weekly psalm leading video. And it was just me and my little guitar or drum or whatever. And at the beginning, I would invite the congregation or viewers into the psalm saying, okay, this is you know Psalm 56, and this is what the psalmist seemed to be in the midst of when she, they were, or uh, he were singing this. 
And so what does that mean for us today? This might suggest to us that we pray in this way today. And I leave the little son teaching, you know, whoever's listening, looking into the dot and hoping that people would sing along wherever they were. Yeah. And now I know that you've done extensive studies on the Psalms over the years, right? And you have your doctor ministry. Is yes. that right? Yes. Just what? finished it uh, this last year. Congratulations. Yeah. That's yeah. big. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. I still feel relief about yeah. it. Yeah, that's how I felt when I finished mine too, because I would have dreams about, I'm never going to finish this. But did you focus on the Psalms in those studies as well? It was the main reason I signed up to do the D-Men, mostly because I was scared of one of the Psalms and I needed to study it among Mm. spiritual directors and smart people and Mm. rabbis and stuff. Like I didn't know what to do with it. I I was sort of haunted by it and I knew I needed to get to the bottom of it. So it wasn't just research, it was me-search. You were resolving some of your own things. Oh, oh. hashtag, <laughs> yes, I love that. <laughs> hashtag. It really was. My project was about the Psalms and how they are useful, particularly in grief. So my final project was, is it possible to use the Psalms in a program of COVID recovery? In a time when some of us have been so disoriented as to be panicked, as to have really lost something. Some of us were on the verge of death. Literally, some of us super sick. Some of us lost jobs, money, livelihood, complete loss of who we are if we're not connected with other people. I feel like the most important thing I do with the Psalms these days is invite them to grieve mm-hmm. and to notice loss. There's a lot of the church that just doesn't know how to do that. And the Psalms can be a witness to that. The world isn't so great all the time. In fact, it's a faithful thing to complain. It's a faithful thing to raise our voices and stomp our feet and shake our fists at the sky if we want to. Anger, outrage, pain, that belongs in our spiritual life. And I think the Psalms do that so well. So my project was putting together a program. How can the lament Psalms in particular be used for that? And then did you implement that program then afterwards, after you finished writing it? Yes. Part of it was like pilot retreat for a weekend. Congratulations on finishing the Doctor of Ministry, and that project sounds very helpful. Are you sharing it with other congregations? It's published online, and there's a link. It seems like I could yeah. find it and share it probably more. But it's definitely in me to you know, invite people into the Psalms this way. Wow, that program. Because it had so much to do with grief and loss and lament, there was an intensity to it that, especially in COVID, was, was pretty rough. One of my advisors said, you've got a heavy, heavy topic here. You know, when I did my doctorate, I needed something to balance. I needed something else in my diet of thought. For me, it was, you know, oh. warrior princess. If just whatever it is, find yeah. something for you that's going to lighten or have a dialogue with all that content. So it was a rich experience, and I'm really proud of that work. And I was so relieved to have to finish it. <gasps> Mm-hmm. Not having seen it, would yes. it also maybe apply when any community undergoes a shared trauma? That's true. COVID was certainly a particular kind of mm-hmm. experience. Trauma is completely subjective. People can experience the same event, or at least it looks like we are. And then some of us can be kind of wrecked for a while and need to rebuild, while some of us can just keep walking the pace. Yeah. So many different kinds of loss, grief, stress, anxiety. I think the Psalms can really speak to that. When I introduce myself often as the Psalm person that works with laments, they expect that I won't have much of a sense of humor, but I like to think I do. 
because I love laughter. The lament psalms always start awful. They are, my God, why have you abandoned me? You've forsaken me. God, how long will you hide from us? Where mm-hmm. where the hell are you? You don't seem to be paying attention. Um, the psalmist said, no problem. Just screaming, yelling. I mean, I grew up in Missouri, so we did not pray with a raised voice. <laughs> so it takes a lot of practice for some of us to just get the vibe of the intensity of trust that the psalmist probably had. They start off and then move to, there's a formula. There's an actual formula and any Older Testament theologian has their own way of navigating and kind of charting the flow of a lament. Start with complaint and then it sort of describes, here's what's happening. Here's my prayer or plea that this is what I want. Here's what I want you to do for us. Always ends with joy, gratitude, a sense of hope except for one, and that's Psalm 88, and that was the psalm. Psalm 88 and Psalm 137, mostly 137. That's why I went to seminary to be among rabbis and spiritual directors, because that one just just horrified me. That's the one that starts, by the willows there, we hung up our instruments, by the waters of Babylon, and there we wept. It describes exile, outrage, and rage, the raising of the temple. It has that famous line toward the end, God, we'd be pretty happy if anyone took our enemies' kids' heads and bashed them against mm-hmm. the river rock. But that'd be fine with us. Mm-hmm. Anyway, all that seems a very human psychology for recovery. So you said you went to study because you wanted to be around the rabbis and those who were well familiar with the Psalms. Did you feel like you got the answers you were looking for about those two Psalms? Yeah, I did. Yeah. At least I was satisfied to have a way to say, okay, I think I know an angle how we might sing those psalms or make use of those psalms. Kind of like preaching. It has to do with proclamation. There's exegesis with it. There's spiritual formation. Like a preacher would approach a text for a sermon. This art form just happens to be two and a half minutes of congregational psalm mm-hmm. instead of whatever you do for preaching or other elements of liturgy. So I at least got enough understanding Psalm 88 and 137, that I could write something mm-hmm. or s- several somethings so that community could experience that. I just with the, I have a musical theater background, and they often talk about the characters talk until talking won't do, and then they sing when the emotion gets too intense for words mm-hmm. because the music then backs up whatever emotion it is. So I feel like you're doing that, but in real life, you're doing that for the community. I love that quote. Yeah. Thank you. There's certainly in worship. Worship is drama where there's all kinds of different voices, pastor and congregation and a choir, an assistant and a liturgist and presider, all those characters doing different things. Um, So I love the idea that in the midst of our worship service, there's a little spot for the psalm, which often, as you know, not enough time in the service, the psalm is the first thing to go. Mm -hmm. But we, we tend to keep it in there. As I insist to people of our staff has come to know that that's an interesting place for a voice in the midst of our drama, in the midst of worship. And that's where it stopped recording. We had a great conversation. It just wasn't recorded clearly. So we will have him back. You also, of course, missed me coaching him. 
but just a reminder, if you want to hear me coaching someone, hear me coach you. Go to discernbydoing.com, find the calendar on there and set up a time to talk with me about whether the six-month e-course might be a good fit for you and do it soon. Actually, we start in February, but you will always get to have this podcast and hear some coaching for free right here in this feed. We will be back. We will have Richard back. We'll have Ruth back very soon. But until then, please do follow so you don't miss when he comes back. Follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It would help us so much if you rate and review the podcast. Also, follow us on social media on Facebook or Instagram. We're Created Creative Podcast. And we look forward to hearing from you, seeing you again. And in the meantime, go create something. <laughs>